Alright kids, come on up. We've got about 75 children here this morning. Not really, but I think we have a full pew. And while we're waiting on the kids, let me make an announcement that I wasn't supposed to make an announcement, but I'm going to make an announcement anyway. Um, we were gifted as, as a church with a bunch of uh, couch throw pillows. They're, they were brought to the church, but the door was locked. So there's a bag sitting out on the back on the front porch right now filled with cushions. So if anybody wants to go get them, start passing them out. Those of you who are sitting there are like, ah, oh, that's so hard on this. Anyway, but they are there, and every you is used. Look at this. Was I right? We have a full, full, every squeeze in, squeeze in, squeeze in. We need a group for everybody. Squeeze in, squeeze in, squeeze in. Move over, everybody. Okay, ready? There you go. Guys, I am so thrilled. You need to sit down. You need to sit down. You need to sit down. I have to talk to you. Or you need to go talk to your mom. One of the two. There you go. Alright, this is what we're going to talk about today. It is so amazing what we're going to talk about today. Come here, Shane, I need to tell you something. I need you to come here and be part of my, my story. Come here, I need you to stand up here with me. Okay, there are, there, uh, Shane is going to be the, the, the king. I mean, you're not going to be the king. You're going to be, uh, who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Shane. You going to be Shane? Okay, you going to be Shane. Alright, you can sit down. Too much to do. There's my Bible. I want to read to you real quick about a king named Ahab and his wife named Jezebel and a prophet named Elijah. And there's this, this is the story about Elijah and, and, and how he confronts King Ahab and uh, Ahab's wife Jezebel. And King Ahab, shh, King Ahab said, I am declaring that everyone has to worship my wife's God the king of the god Baal. And so all the people of Israel started following this fake god. They made statues, they made poles, they, they worshipped and they sacrificed, and it was not pleasing to God at all. And you know what God did? He raised up a prophet whose name was Elijah. And Elijah came to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, and he said, you people are causing the people of Israel to stop worshipping the true and only God. And I'm going to prove to you because God told me to tell you this, God is going to stop the rain. There will be no rain for years. And it will prove to you that God is the true God. And then Elijah left the king and the queen, and they didn't believe him. And literally, for three years, no rain. Crops were dying, people were going hungry, it was pretty bad. And the people were praying and praying and praying to this fake God named Baal, saying, Oh, please, send us rain. Please help us, Baal. Please. Nothing. Because it was just a rock. It was fake. It wasn't real. And then after three years, Elijah came back because God told him to go back to the king. And he said, King, I'm going to prove to you once and for all that this fake God, Baal, that you keep trying to worship, is nothing more than a, a figure in your imagination. It's fake. There is nothing there. It's not real. There's only one real God, and I'll prove it to you, because God has told me what to do. So this is what we're going to do. So the king called all of the priests who served the, the false god Baal, 450 priests, and they gathered on a mountain, and all the people of Israel were gathered around watching. And Elijah said to the, prop, to the priests, he said, Okay guys, if your God is so big, I have a contest. 
are fake God. And they're like, well, we can do this. And Elijah said, well, let's do it. I want you to set up a sacrifice, and I'll set up a sacrifice. So they put rocks on the ground making an altar, and then they put wood on it so that they could have a fire, and then they cut, killed an animal, and they put that on top of the rocks so that the, the flames could offer this, the animal up as a burnt offering to their God. And Elijah said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, one thing. You can't use fire. <laughs> what? How come we can't use fire? No, because if you've got a real God, just like i got a real God, he doesn't need fire. He can send fire from heaven down to eat the, 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 the burn of the sacrifice. And so Elijah says, you guys go first. Let's see how your God does. Go ahead, call Baal. And so literally the priests of Baal, they set up the altar, and they put the wood there, and they put the animal there, and they were take, oh, Baal, come, take this offering that we offer you. Make fire come down and burn up this offering, please. And nothing was happening. And it went on for hours, and they're dancing around, no, Baal. Elijah's doing the whole time. He goes, hey, maybe Baal's sleeping. Why don't you knock on his bedroom door and see if he's awake? And they're going, oh, Baal, oh, Baal, please hear us. And you know what Elijah said? Hey, maybe Baal's in the bathroom sitting on the toilet. That's literally what it says in the Bible. And they're like, he does it, though, so I'll read the story.
because God proved himself as the only true and real God. And that's one of the most powerful stories you'll ever hear out of the Bible. There are lots of people saying that they worship a God, but there's only one real God, and he can prove himself to you. You just have to ask him to do so, and he'll prove himself to be real. Let's pray. Jesus, help these kids and help these adults to own this for themselves. Let them not be afraid to test the spirits. Because the Bible tells us clearly that if anything is from you, it will honor you and give glory to you. And if it is not, we don't have to fear it, and we don't have to play with it, and we don't have to pay any attention to it. So God, we give you glory, we give you praise, we give you honor, and we ask for these children, Father, that you would bring them into the fold early, God. Spare them from a life of sin, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, go sit down with you, folks. Yes, sir. Can we go outside? No, sir. Why? Because I'm not your mom or your dad. You have to talk to your mom and dad. Didn't know that the Bible talked about toilets, did you? Um, we're going to be looking at a number of passages of scripture. Um, the very first one we're going to look at this morning is Psalm 42. Um, you can follow along with me. You can open up your Bible and read along with me if you want to. But Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 actually are all one. For some reason, they got separated to, when, when the Bible was being put together. But it was a poem. And so 42 and 43 which is a total of 16 verses, is all one poem or one song. So we're going to read 42 and 43 together. Just You follow, you just follow as I read it out loud. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazir, Mazar, excuse me. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where's your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against any ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me 
For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I come out mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the leer. Oh, God, my God. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. My salvation. And my God. From 1984 until 1987, my wife and I were, and my, our children were living in the Republic of the Philippines. I was stationed at Clark Air Base. I was in the military. At that time in my life, I was a carpenter. Uh, carpenter Mason was my career field. And I was in charge of the Mason shop for a while. I was also in charge of a minor construction company that was owned and operated by the Air Force, and I was the foreman over the project. Um, that was what I did by day. By, in my personal life, we just lived our life. We just had fun. We just had a great time doing things and visiting. And one of the things that we did while we were in the Philippines was, um, and this is, this is uh, probably not something you would think I would be preaching about, but we went on what was called a haunted hay ride. Think about it. You've been on a hay ride before, right? You get on a cart and they carry by either horse or a tractor or something. You're sitting on hay bales and you're singing songs and having hot cocoa and all that. Well, this is a haunted hay hay ride. And so what they did was it was a way to raise funds for one of the organizations on the base. And so they took us out into the to the jungle area, the wooded area of the base. Um, And it was indeed it was it was like walking out in the woods here, except it was palm trees and, and a lot of jungle stuff and vines and all that stuff. And so we were out on this, on this trail, on this hayride, and then we stopped, and they got off, and then we started walking down a path into the jungle, following a guide. And then after we went through the trail in the jungle and got scared to death, then we came back and got on the tra- on the hayride thing again and came back. Um, and even while we were on the hayride thing, there were some scary things that they did, but they were all cheesy. I mean, it was, it's a, it's a, you pay a dollar fifty or two dollars and you get scared. It was just for fun. And the whole theme of this particular haunted trail is what they called it once you got into the jungle was that we were in, um, we were in, uh, in, in the Philippines. And so the way to tie it to our mindset as military people was that we were now going through an area where it was haunted by the ghosts of people who were killed during Vietnam. And so we're going through all of these different, they're scaring us. And again, it's a, it, it's a, it's a haunted thing. It's cheesy. And then there's this one part where there was a clearing that they had done in the woods. And in this clearing, the guide is talking to us about these two graves. And there are two graves right in front of you that are mounded a little bit with some headstones. And the guy's like trying to get us to go to one of the graves. I mean, the, 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 the guide. And I'm like, you ain't full of me. And I backed off away from where the crowd was going. And I stood back closer to the other grave. What I didn't know was that one of the actors for the haunted trail was laying under the mound of dirt in the grave I was next to. 
and he jumped out of the dirt and grabbed my ankles. <laughs> and so I ran right into Dracula. And then I turned and ran right into Frankenstein. And I turned around and there was Dracula again. And I lost it. I almost wet myself. It was so bad. It was so bad. Dracula went into hysterical laughing. Because I had lost it. I was scared. I was scared. I was scared. I was scared. And then and she's, she's remembering and laughing at me too. And y'all laughing at me. It was real, people. I was scared to death. I almost wet myself. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you feel like it's coming at you from all sides and you cannot get away from it and there's nothing you can do and you're, you're overwhelmed? Mm-hmm. I'm living that right now, people. <laughs> I don't know if you are, but I'm living it right now. And as I was reading this, there was one verse in 42 and 43 that just jumped out at me. It was 42 verse 7. So let's look at that one real quick. 42 verse 7 says, Deep calls to deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Now, I, I did a little bit of study. I didn't do a lot of study because I haven't had time this week to do a lot of study. But I did a little bit of study on this. And what I learned was that this phrase, deep calls to deep, it has a double meaning. And scholars cannot definitively say this is what the person meant when they, because it's, it, <coughs> excuse me, um, there's, a, there's a, you can interpret it one of two ways or both and it still works. And so the first way is the roiling of chaos, the deep, the depths, the depths just calling out to each other and the waterfalls coming down and overflowing me with the bra- breaking of waves. Have you ever been in the ocean? Yes. Have you ever been in a situation where you were body surfing or surfing and then all of a sudden a wave took you out and you couldn't get up on your feet and you couldn't, you were afraid you were going to drown because you couldn't catch your breath and the water kept ba- beating you down? That's what this is. That's what verse 7 is. From the very depths of the water, it's just waterfall and waves breaking over you, crashing, and you can't get yourself up to where you feel safe and stable and you can't catch your breath and you're scared you're going to drown. That's one of the ways to interpret this verse. Another way to interpret this verse is the very heart of God calls out to the very depths of your being. So this idea of deep calling to deep while all of the chaos is going on. And the scholars say that, again, you can interpret this one way or the other. It works both ways. So I like this idea because that's how I've always thought about it. Even before I did any study was this idea that God, the depths of God are calling to the depths of me. Even though I'm being battered around in the midst of all of this chaos. Even as I was being scared to death by the guy in the grave and Dracula and the vampire, I mean, and the, and the Frankenstein, all of that, the, God was still there with me. Now, he was probably laughing too because I paid the dollar fifty to get on the stupid thing. 
I voluntarily walked the path. But, but the bottom line is, is that, that what, what, I, what I have sensed with this for me is that when I'm in the midst of all this, <clears throat> if I will just recognize that God is right here calling to me and I'll take the time to commune with God, some incredible things can happen for me. Now, I want, I want to leave that with you for a second. Now we're going to jump into the New Testament. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit this morning. I want you to turn to, where is it? Mark chapter 1, verse 35. And if somebody gets there, just read it out loud for us, because I'm being lazy. I don't want to keep opening and flipping back and forth, because I'm going to be staying back in my area here. Mark 1, 35. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, Jesus, went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And if you read the next one, it says that Peter came out seeking for him and said, hey, master, they're looking for you and they, they need you. What, what happened just before? No, that, that, I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong one. Okay. Um, so in this, in this setting, well, actually, in that, no, in that one, isn't, didn't he do a healing just before? Just before that? Isn't that one where the mother-in-law was healed and then the paralytic was healed? Or somebody was healed? Okay. So then the next day, after doing all of that great, cool, powerful, spiritual stuff, very first thing Jesus did after getting up from sleep was he went and communed with his father in a solitary place. They had to go looking for him because the need was so great. Turn to Mark, I mean, turn to, to Luke chapter 6. Okay, Luke chapter 6, verse 12. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. And then if you go down to verse um, 35. No, where is it? Oops, okay, that was the only one. That was the one. Now now go back to Mark chapter 6. That's where my brain was at this morning. I've, I've messed up. So Mark chapter 6. So Jesus has a practice of going out in the early in the morning to commune with the Father after he's expended a lot of energy doing God's work. Then we go to uh, chapter Mark, Luke chapter 6. He knew he had an incredible task before him. And so he went and spent the night in prayer Seeking the will of God and knowing God's heart before he went and literally named the 12 apostles. Okay? So after expending a lot of energy doing God's work, he rested his physical body. And then the very first thing he does after he wakes up is he goes and communes with the Father in a quiet and solitary place. And then when he needs guidance, when he needs to know the perfect and clear will of God... He spends all night alone on a mountain in prayer before making that incredible decision who the 12 apostles would be. Now go to Mark chapter 6. 
Verse Mark chapter 6, verse 7. And he called the twelve, and he began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits, and he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money, to wear sandals. I, but to wear sandals and not, but, and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. If any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So the twelve apostles were sent out two by two in teams to do the work of God. Jesus was training them. In how to be like Jesus. And they had the power of God on them such that they could literally cast out demons. They could literally anoint people with oil and see that God, the hand of God working and bringing about healing. If you go back to the uh, latter part of this chapter, um, you'll see uh, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus after coming back from that great ministry. And they told him all that they had done and taught. And what was the very first thing Jesus did and said after that? Verse 31. Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now, many saw them going and recognized them. And when they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So when they got to the shore, Jesus saw the great crowd and he had compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. But see, he was trying to get his guys away for a time of respite and quiet and restoration and communing with the father. So I'm assuming, we're not told this, I'm assuming he continued to do that. He said, you guys go on, go on. I can deal with the crowd, you go on. But then after he's done teaching them, he says to his disciples, send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something. And they said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii, blah, blah, blah. And ended up they fed 5,000 people. With five loaves of bread and two fish. Then if you go to verse 45 of chapter 6. It says immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them. He went up on the mountain to pray. And then when evening came. And the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. He saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, which is like three o'clock in the morning, he came out to them walking on the sea and he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. They cried out for fear. They saw him. They were terrified. And immediately he spoke and he said, don't worry. Take heart. It's me. Don't be afraid. He got into the boat with him. The wind ceased. They were utterly astounded for they didn't understand all about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now. The principle that we're seeing here is Jesus himself takes intentional time either after doing great ministry or before doing great ministry to spend time with the father. He then sends his team, his group out in teams of two to do great ministry. And when they come back after they give their reports, the very first thing he says is come with me, guys. 
It's time for you to go take some rest. It's time for you to go and commune with the Father and just restore your souls and get yourself back because you've gone through a really hard time. Now, um, then when they're trying to do that restoration, that respite, that caring, then he's got the feeding of the 5,000 ends up happening. So he still has to do a lot of ministry. And then finally, he says, you guys go off by yourself. I'll catch up with you later. And he has to go back and recharge again with the father. So he goes up. and So you see, there's a pattern here. This is what Jesus does. This is what he taught his people. Now, let's go back to the story of Elijah. I shared with the kids this morning that story because I wanted you to have it fresh in your mind as we start talking about Elijah and his world. Immediately after that episode, Elijah then goes to the king and he says, do you believe now? And Ahab's like, and he goes, okay, look, I'm going to prove it to you once before. I told you it was not going to rain until God said it was not, it was going to rain. And I'm telling you, it's going to rain. And I suggest you get in your chariot and head back to your home really quickly because it's going to be pouring down so hard. You're going to get bogged down in your chariot. and You're not going to be able to, to get home if you don't go now. And so Ahab took him at his word and got off and started leaving. And, and then, then Elijah goes up on the mountain and begins to pray while his servant is watching to see what God's doing. And seven times, I think it is, he says, do you see anything? Not yet. Do you see anything? Not yet. Do you see anything? Not yet. I see a small cloud coming out of the water. And he keeps, and all of a sudden, and it says that Elijah girds up his, his skirt into his belt and runs before the chariot of King Ahab. And he gets there. So now he's in town with Ahab when he arrives and Jezebel's there in the town. And Ahab goes in and tells Jezebel all that just happened. How Elijah proved that Baal was not the true God. How Elijah killed all 450 of the prophets. How he declared that it was going to rain and it is now going to rain. And what does Jezebel do? This black-hearted, dead-in-the-spirit woman, she has black in her eyes and she looks at Elijah and she says, You are dead, man. I am going to flay you. I am going to make you so sorry you were born. And what does Elijah do? It's right here in chapter 19. We're not going to have time to read it. But let me tell you what he did. He wet himself. He ran. He was exhausted. He didn't have anything left. He had spent every bit of energy he had fighting with the prophets of Baal. Praying over a miracle of bringing the water back. And then he ran in front of a chariot for however many miles. He was physically exhausted. He was emotionally spent. He was spiritually spent. And then the enemy of all enemies says, you're a dead man. As soon as I get my hands on you, you are a dead man. And he runs. And he goes off to this place and he, he's literally hiding. And it says that he goes to sleep. Well, that's a very spiritual thing for Elijah to do. Well, the reality is, yes, it probably was the most spiritual thing he could do at that point. When he woke up, there was an angel there with food for him. And the angel said, eat and drink because you've got a long way to go still. And he goes back to sleep after eating. When he wakes up the next time, 
The angel's there and he says, I've got some more food for you. I want you to eat and drink because you got a long way to go. And it says in the Bible that that food that he got from the angel actually sustained him for 40 days. And he then goes up to Mount Horeb, which scholars will tell you was the same place that Elijah, I mean, that Moses went up to get the, the uh, Ten Commandments. And while he's up on that mountain, it says, there came, there Elijah came to a cave, verse, chapter 19, verse 9. There Elijah came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars. They have killed your prophets with the sword. And I, I am the only one left. And they seek my life to take it away. And Elijah said, go out. And stand, excuse me, and God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake is a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in a cloak because he wasn't allowed to look at God and live. And he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for God, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you will anoint Hazael to be king of Syria. And Yehu, the son of Nimshi, you will anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Ebel-Mehelah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. The one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. And so Elisha, Elijah was restored and he was given his next commission, which was basically you're hiring your replacement. It's time for you to enter into retirement. The retirement we know was that he got called up into heaven in a chariot of fire. But, but the reality is, Elijah was faithful to do what God called him to do, but he was still a human being. And the spiritual principle we see in the New Testament is the same spiritual principle that we see playing out here. Elijah had been a faithful follower of the Lord God. He did this incredibly powerful, glorious work for God. And then all of a sudden, he's physically exhausted, emotionally spent, and spiritually worn out. And what does he have to do? He has to go spend time one-on-one with the Father. And he has to literally press in to the point that he gets past the wind and the earthquake and the fire. And it's that deep calling deep, soul-to-God spirit connection that has to take place. Why? So that God can heal so that God can restore. Because 
I'll tell you for true, guys, as I have been trying just to sit in my quiet time this week and just read the word of God, it's everywhere. I'm trying to read, but my brain is everywhere. I'm trying to read my brain and I literally have to read the same sentence three or four times. If you want to spend time with the Father, you've got to press in to spend time with the Father. You have to be intentional. It takes work to do it. If all you want is the fluff and stuff, just come on Sunday morning. Because these guys put on a great show. They do. You can come and get a great entertaining show for 40 minutes and then leave. But if you want to touch the heart of God... It's more than just coming and listening to some cool music for 30 minutes. It's more than just reading a a a five-line devotional and going, Jesus, bless me as I go to work today. It's much more than worshiping while you drive to work in the morning. Sorry, folks, who I'm stepping on your toes, but that's the reality. I lived it for so many years. If you want to have heart-to-heart Soul to soul with God. If you want a deep calling to deep, touch the very, the very essence of God. It takes intentionality. It takes purposefulness. It takes setting that time and location aside. It takes laying everything else aside. And if you have to take a nap before you can do it, then so be it. Jesus didn't condemn his guys for being tired. He understood. He lived it. And he was teaching them, listen, after you've had a hard battle, the very first thing you need to do is take care of yourself. Then once that's done, then sit down with the Father and spend some real time listening to him, hearing from him. And then once you do, you'll get the next set of orders. And you'll know what you're called to do in the coming days. See, I, I, I have been asked so many times this week by so many people, how you doing? And I say, I'm doing great. I'm peachy keen. I'm lousy. I'm weary. I mean, I got a phone call today, not today, this week from somebody who was asking for prayer. And you know what the pastor said? I'll put it on the prayer chain, but I am so weary right now. I can't even care less. If it's not my community, I don't care. I said that to them. Now, they didn't hate me. They're they're here today. You can talk to them. Now you can figure out who's in the room. But the reality is, I had reached that point in my own life. I am being asked for so much left and right. I mean, I was in tears Thursday night. Because of the responsibility that was placed on me. Now, am I complaining? No, I take it as an incredible honor that God has positioned me to do the things that God is having me do. But I'm worn out. I know Pastor Shea is worn out. And so I can only imagine those of you who have to go to your place of business for your eight hour day, plus your time of commute, and then come home to live your life and still have to be vigilant over your property for fear that somebody would come to your place and harm it or harm you, I imagine you're probably getting weary too. And the best encouragement I can give you is to take care of your physical body and to spend intentional time in the Word of God and with the Spirit of God. And if that means going for a walk out in the woods because that's where you best commune with God, then take the time and do it. 
If it means going and sitting in the parking lot of this church because this is where you regularly meet with God, then come and do it. Or come and ask us and we'll open the door for you. Normally we keep it unlocked, but because of what's going on, we were having to lock the doors. But what you need to do is you need to take charge of your own spiritual care. You know, I'm going to be calling on you saying, are you doing okay? How are you doing? Are you okay? But you can fake me out. I'm doing fine, Pastor. Life's really good. Oh, it's not bothering me at all. When you're dying on the inside. So my prayer for us all is that we would, that we would find that in deep, what it says on the screen, that deep refreshing of coming before God and having that deep thirst that's within me quenched. But it can only happen if you take the time to let it happen. But it will be the best thing you could do all week with your time. I guarantee you. So I challenge you. Make that your priority this week. Even if it's only for 15 minutes. Spend intentional time listening for that whisper from the Holy Spirit of God. Get through all the chaos. Get through all of the noise. Get through all of the waves crashing around you. And listen for the whisper of God's Holy Spirit to your spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you and thank you and I love you and I give you glory. And I am honest, I am so tired right now. And I just ask God that you would give me and every single one in this room strength and encouragement. And help us, Father, to be aware of you every moment of every day in the coming days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.